Okay, so we're in the book of Galatians, <coughs> and uh, last week we were just starting, and I really want to emphasize that, we were just starting to unpack what Paul has to say about uh, the law of, of God, and we saw that it's, it's, it's not kind of the opposite of the gospel, that actually the law of God, properly understood and properly used, is complementary to the gospel. Um, Paul's got other stuff to say, but that certainly as God intends the law to be used, it's, it's, it's designed to drive us to Jesus. It shows us our need of Jesus. It explains why Jesus has to come and redeem us. It exposes uh, the reality of our sin and, and exacerbates it and empowers sin, um, especially before we become uh, a Christian. And so, so it's kind of constantly reminding us, showing us that, that we cannot be good enough for God. And in a sense, the more laws we're given, the, the more our sin kind of takes root and, and comes to full blossom. And it's like, oh man, what can I do? What can I do? And, and, and the whole thing of the law is go to Jesus and let him sort it out. Um, this week I was reading some, some Martin Luther. Martin Luther is always good. For, if you're ever like, you know those nights when you just can't get to sleep. All right. <laughs> Get, get up, pour yourself a glass of wine or something like that, and pull some Martin Luther off your bookcase. I, I mean, it is just brilliant. Listen to this from Martin Luther. On, he, he lectured through Galatians in 1535 and then produced a commentary on it. And, and this is what Luther has to say about the law. He says, therefore God must have a mighty hammer, the law, to crush the rocks. A fire burning from the midst of heaven to overthrow the mountains. That is to crush the stubborn and perverse beast. That is our presumption. When a man has been brought to nothing by its pounding. When he despairs of his own power, his own righteousness, his own works. And when he is left only to tremble. Before God, then he will in terror begin to thirst for mercy and forgiveness of sin. Oh, it's brilliant. I should have just read that. We could have all got home like an hour early last week. Um, but that's what we were looking at last week. You know, just the way in which um, the law prepares us. It exposes our desperate, desperate need for, uh, for, for a savior. You see... Uh, this is what Paul means when he talks about the, the law is, is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and, and good. And Paul's writing that as a Christian. And, and as we go through Galatians, we're going to see more of how the law can be a good thing for us um, as we grow as Christians. But that, that's just giving you a little bit of a heads up um, for what's coming over the next few weeks. So let, let me pray for us and then we'll get into tonight's, uh, tonight's reading. So Father, we, we come before you um, just so humbled by your mercy to us, your grace 
to us, your love for us in Christ. And wanting in that humility to, to sit before you and together to hear what you have to say to us uh, tonight. So would you please speak? Would you give us hearts that are soft, ears that are open? Would you give us a, a humility that allows us to hear and respond well to what you have to say to us uh, tonight? Lord, please, we want to walk out of here tonight loving Jesus more than we did. More captivated by him. With our faith more firmly rooted in him. So please, would you come and speak to us of Jesus? For we ask it in his name and we ask it for his glory. Amen. Amen. Right, so Galatians 3, right through into... Man, we're flying through Galatians, aren't we? Seriously, I know it's too fast. I know, I know, I know. But we've got to keep going. We've got the whole Bible to get through. So, um, now... Uh, here's how this passage is, is often read, and I'm going to suggest to you that this is not a particularly helpful way of trying to make sense of the passage that we have uh, before us tonight. Um, very often, this passage is taken um, as if Paul is kind of giving this massive overview of world history. And what he's saying is, look, before the cross, it was all about the law, and then Jesus came and after the cross, it's all about faith. Now, why, why is that clearly not what Paul is saying? That cannot be. It, that cannot be what Paul means um, when he's talking about, you know, before faith came, there was the law. He cannot be kind of giving this big overview of, of world history. Uh, you know, what was the church like before the cross? What's the church like after the cross? Um, why not? All right. Be let me give you two reasons. Um, one, one is that uh, that would mean the law was, a, was, was positive uh, in the life of the church. And what we're going to see tonight is that for Paul, actually the experience, and we'll look at why this is in a minute, if the law is holy and righteous and good, why is Paul so negative about the law in this part of Galatians? Right? We'll see just how negative he is in a minute. But he's really down on the law. He's like, the law was awful. It was a terrible thing. Right? And it's like, well, if the law was supposed to be this great thing in the history of the church, why does Paul talk about it so negatively? That, that's, that's a small point. The main point is this. More of an issue is this. Why is it that Paul is not saying that in the Old Testament it was all about law and in the New Testament it's all about faith? Well, because what's he just been arguing for in the last sort of chapter and a bit of Galatians? He's, he's been arguing that, that how was how Abraham saved? Through faith. Right? So his whole argument in Galatians up to this point has been in the Old Testament it was all about faith. All right? And there was the law. And, of course, in the New Testament, and this is, again, just tipping the hat a little bit for what's going to happen in, in the last couple of chapters of Galatians, his argument at the end of Galatians will be, and in the New Testament, it's all about faith and the law. 
All right, but actually, in both Old and New Testament, it has been both faith and law. That has always been what authentic, genuine, biblical Christianity has been about. And we'll see exactly how that works um, later on. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about how it is only Christians who can actually fulfill the law. Only Christians can fulfill the law. So we'll, we'll have a look at what's going on with that. You see, what Paul is going for in this section is not the law in itself. Remember, the law is holy. Okay, the command is holy, righteous, and good. And as we get into the end of Galatians, we'll see that Paul expects Christians to embrace and to fulfill and to enjoy the law even. All right, so what's Paul going for? Why is Paul so negative about the law before faith came? Well, because it's the law before faith came. It's, it's, it's what the law became in the experience of an ancient church, the ancient church, um, and, and, and still often, I'm going to say it, still often is, I think, in the modern church, when people who do not have faith try to use the law as a way of climbing into heaven, as a way of showing God how good they are. Legalism. Right? Legalism has always been a problem in the church. It's been a huge issue over the It still is. It still is. And next week, I'm going to, next week I'm going to actually articulate some of the ways in which, you know, even as Christians, we can veer towards legalism. I'm going to show you some of the ways I've done it over the years, and you might go, oh, that sounds familiar. Um, because, you know, we're, we're not very, we're not different. We're, we're kind of basically all the same. And if I'm making those mistakes, the chances are other people in the room are, are as well. But you see, what Paul is talking, when Paul's talking about what, what the law is like before faith comes, he's talking about people who are not Christians, who do not have faith in Christ, but who are then trying to use the law as a way of, of earning or of, or of, or of uh, forging their own righteousness, their own goodness. Um, I've come across this uh, illustration a, a few years ago by a an American preacher, a guy called John Piper, who um, he says, look, what's the law supposed to be like? Well, the law um, is supposed to be like a railway track. All right? And, you know, the, the whole point of the railway track is you sit in the train and, and you get carried along the railway track in the train. Um, and and, and, and the, the, the argument is that's what the law is supposed to be, okay? In terms of our living are living in, in, a, in a way that resonates with God's vision for who we should be, for God's vision for our life together, we should be being carried along by the Spirit. Right? That's why Paul's been talking about the Spirit quite a bit in Galatians. Right? He's laying the groundwork for what he wants to say in Galatians 5. Um, but we have the Spirit in us. The Spirit is at work in us, carrying us along the, the life that God has designed for us. That God's vision for who we should be. And, and the problem with legalism is, is that it takes the railway track and it leans it, as it were, up against the wall of heaven. And says, it's okay, I don't need the Spirit. I don't need Jesus. I can climb up this ladder myself and get into heaven on my own merits. And, and, and Paul's like, yeah, you see, when, when that happens... 
The law is a really, really bad thing. So the law, when it's being used the way God intends it to be used and, and designs it to be used, it's, it's good. It's holy. It's righteous. It's something that we can celebrate and enjoy and delight in. But when it becomes this, this, this ladder that we, try, we, we, we come to it without faith in Jesus, and we try to use it to prove to God how good we are, that's when it becomes this, this negative, oppressive thing that Paul's talking about in the passage that we have uh, before us. So in Galatians 3.23, Paul talks about how the law imprisons us, or how we're he- we were held in custody under the law, locked up. Right? That is not a positive image. All right? it's the, the law is like a jailer. You know, and, and it's, it's that what, what happens when our fallen human nature meets the law and, and, and our sin is exacerbated and we're imprisoned and we're enslaved by our, our sin. All right? it's, a, it's a problem that needs to be dealt with. Or verse 24, the law was our, <coughs> our guardian. Um, the old King James Version, those of you old enough to remember reading Galatians in the authorized version, might remember school teacher. Um, the law was our school teacher. Um, actually, that's, that's not, a, that's, that's not uh, you know, I love the King James Version of the Bible. It's got a lot of good stuff about it, but th- this is not a good translation. It's, it wasn't a school teacher. It's, a, it's, it's, more of, it's, it's more of the disciplinarian figure. Um, so the word that Paul uses is pedagogos. Um, the, the, the Greek word for teacher is didaskalos, but this is pedagogos. And, and this was a, a slave who was um, the disciplinarian. All right, so here's a picture from, I don't often do kind of the whole, you know, here's a pot from the first century with some pottery and it can tell us a lot. But here's a pot from the first century, all right? And here's the pedagogos. Uh, what do you notice about the guy? What's he got? A stick. That's, that's the, and, and in dramas and stuff, the person who played this role was always recognized because they carried a big stick. Uh, and their job was, you know, to, to reform the morals of their charge. So the whole thing was, I'll tell you what to do, and if you don't do it, I will beat you. All right, that's, that's, and Paul's like, yeah, that's what the law does. I'll tell you what to do, and when you don't do it, I'll beat you. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, you know, the law is the jailer. The law is the one who beats us when we don't, when we can't be the people God's called us to be. Now remember, this is not, this is what the law has become before we, we come to it with faith, all right? Uh, you see, what the law was designed to do, and if you were with us in Hebrews, that, you know, there'll be nothing new in this. The law was designed to show us um, and, and through us to show the world what new creation spirit-filled, Jesus-trusting life could be like. And it was supposed to be so good so that the nations of the world would look at these people who were living by the law of God and go, that's amazing. I want to be a part of that. How do I get to, how do I get to come and live with you in the presence of God and according to God's vision for human life? That's what the law was supposed to be when people who were trusting in Jesus embrace it what it be, what it became be, without faith what it becomes is this oppressive negative enslaving dictatorial punishing 
imprisoning thing. When we're trying to, and that's, that's what happens, ironically, when we're using it as a ladder to try to, to prove to God how good we are. You see, and when you use the law like that, chapter 3, verse 10, it becomes a curse. All right, all who rely on the works of the law, all right, in order to, to, to be accepted by God, to get into relationship with God, to, to maintain relationship with God, if, you, if what you're trying to do is show God how good you are, Paul's like, you will only, you will only end up being cursed by it. You see, the law, you know, even here, the law is wanting to send you to Jesus. Right? That's what that's it's always, always, always wanting to be, go to Jesus, be saved by Him, be loved by Him, be redeemed by Him. Don't look to me to save you. I can't do it. And don't you try to save you by using me. I'm sending you to Jesus. Go to be redeemed by Him. Go to be reconciled to God by Him. Go to get your righteousness from Him. Go and be caught up into God's family through Him. Go to love Him and to be loved by Him. Right? And when you reject the law's commands to do that, you're under a curse. Right? Which is why Paul says this at the end of a, diff a, a different letter, 1 Corinthians 16. He's like, if anyone doesn't love the Lord, let that person be cursed. You know, that, that, that's it. It's like, look, if, if you're not going to do what the law says to do, which is to go and love Jesus and be loved by Jesus, then you will be under the curse. That's it. It's as simple. It's as binary as that. And it's hard to get across. I mean, I hope we've been able to do it a little bit over the last weeks. Hard to get across um, just how serious a situation it is when you kind of end up being cursed by the law. When, when you refuse everything the law wants you to do and you try to use it as a ladder, you, know, you use it rather than it sending you to Christ, you're using it to, 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 to reject Christ so that I, I don't need Jesus. I can do this by myself. All right? Like how serious a thing is that? Well, let me tell you just how, well, let Paul tell us just how serious a thing it is. If you have your Bible open in front of you, we're going to work on, on some stuff here. Um, Paul's like, look, when we were like this, when we were legalists, when we were trying to be good enough for God on our own, when we were saying we didn't need Jesus, we could do this by ourselves, Paul says something really interesting. He says that we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, right? Which, in other words, when we are being legalistic, when we're trying to be good by ourselves, trying to be good people by ourselves, actually, we are enslaved by demons, right? That's how serious this, this is. These elemental spiritual forces are the the, the, the fallen spiritual powers that are embedded into the very structure and the framework of a fallen and cursed and exiled creation. All right? 
Um, now, I want to talk about this a little bit. We, I've referred to this a few times, um, and, and I, I just kind of want to explore this a little bit with you um, this evening, because it's quite a big issue in Galatians, and I've, we've touched on it, but we've not really unpacked it. Um, and what I want you to, to appreciate is, is this, that, that you know, what, what's going on in Galatians? Well, the church at Galatia is beginning to believe um, uh, a different message, okay? So they're beginning to believe some teaching that is, that's <coughs> not the gospel that Paul brought that was from Jesus. They're beginning to believe some different ideas about God, some different ideas about Jesus, some different ideas about how we are connected with God and reconciled to God, different ideas about how we receive the Spirit of God, um, different ideas about how to live Right? So it's, they're, they're taking on board this different message. And what Paul is saying to them is that the, the message that you believe um, actually connects you to different spiritual realities. So right back in Galatians 1, we first touched on this. And, and Paul was saying, look, in rejecting the gospel and turning away from the gospel... You're actually turning away from God. So the situation isn't, oh, well, we're all relating to God. We just might believe different things. What Paul is saying is, no, by believing different things, you start relating to different spiritual realities. And it's not just that we begin relating to different spiritualities, but those ideas, all right, those teachings, those messages Actually, they have their origins in those different spiritual realities as well. Now, this is something that we may find quite difficult to, to navigate. But, but here's the thing. What, are, what we believe and the decisions that we make about what we believe. You see, we, we've been taught to think of that purely in terms of intellect. You know, what I believe and what I think about the world, what I think about God, what I think about who I am and how I'm supposed to live, what I think about how I connect with God and relate to God, well, I'm, I'm using the word think. That's what we do with our brain. That's an intellectual process. You know, we're, we're in the world of thought and what's going on in our mind. But actually, the Lord tells us something quite different in the Bible, that it is not merely uh, an intellectual process, that it is a deeply spiritual process. And that what we believe is at least as much, if not more so, it's a spiritual thing as well as an intellectual thing, brain thing. Now, th this, this works in two ways. First of all, from within ourselves. Okay, we have a sinful nature. And that sin affects every aspect of what we are. All right, it's not just our will is affected by our, our sin, but our emotional life is affected and our intellectual life is affected by sin. And so we have a spiritual, this, this incredibly powerful, sort of complex spiritual influence that is coming from within us that is pushing our minds constantly to reject truth and embrace falsehood. 
That's always, that's always something that is going on in our minds. It's pushing us to ways of thinking about God that are not focused on Christ. To ways of thinking about what it is to be human, to be in relationship with God, that are not focused on Christ. But actually, it's not just that there's this spiritual force working within us. There's also these spiritual forces working from outside of us. Other spiritual realities, demons, um, that are affecting us and shaping us and tempting us and offering us alternatives to the gospel and to a Jesus-centered way of thinking and living and believing and worshiping. Now, we, we might be more used to thinking about this the other way around, actually. We might be used to thinking about truth. So, you know, we, we know, or we're probably more familiar with the idea that if we are going to understand and receive and believe truth, that that's not an intellectual. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that, right? So Paul says things like, like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that, right, it's causal, right, we need the spirit who is from God to do this, the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And he goes on to say, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So what Paul is saying is that you will not understand the gospel, let alone believe it, without the Spirit of God being at work. You see, it's not just an intellectual thing. You know, here's the gospel, do you understand it? Right? In order to understand it, the Spirit needs to be at work. Yeah? Otherwise, we won't understand it and we won't believe it. You see this all over the Bible once you clock it. All right, I'll, this is one of my favorite verses. Reflect on what I'm saying. Again, this is the Apostle Paul. All right, think about what I'm saying. Meditate on it. Roll it around your brain. Seek to understand it. And, and through that, the Lord will give you insight into all this. You see, thinking is a means of grace. Thinking is one of the ways in which the Lord, by His Spirit, teaches us truth. So that we can understand it, and receive it, and believe it. So we, so, so we see that, alright? In order to believe truth, and understand truth, and to think truly about the Gospel and about the Lord, we need the Spirit to be at work. It's not just an intellectual thing. There's a deep spiritual element to this. Well, the same is true when it comes to the link between falsehood and demons, other fallen spiritual influences. And again, actually, as soon as you think about this, you go, oh, hang on, there are, I do know verses that, that make this connection. Maybe most famously, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Right? You see, Satan is at work. And, and when you read 2 Corinthians 4, Paul clearly means Satan. Satan is at work 
stopping our minds from being able to understand, to see, to believe the truth of the gospel. Right? It's not just an intellectual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Right? And actually, the most ancient parts of the Bible teach us this very, very clearly. One of the earliest books of the Bible is the book of Job. And in the book of Job, Job's friends, Job's comforters, all right, they come and they're basically, they're legalists. It's really interesting. When you read what they're saying to Job, they're legalists. Their whole thing is, you know, if you sort yourself out, God will bless you. If you live a good life, then God will be good to you. If you live an acceptable life, God will accept you. That's basically their position. Their whole thing is, well, Job, you're suffering. Yeah, it must mean you've got sin in your life, you know. So they're basically legalists. And you think, well, where on earth did they get this idea from? Where did, these, where did Eliphaz, for example, get this idea that that's how God works? That's what God is like. That's how we relate to God. Well, Eliphaz actually tells us. He says, a word was secretly brought to me. My ears caught a whisper of it. Fear and trembling seized me, made my bones shake, and a spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood in end, and I heard a hushed voice. And he goes on to explain what this spirit told him, and it's the substance of their arguments against Job. Right? You see, their arguments, their theology, what they believe, their doctrine is being shaped by spiritual influences, right? And, and Paul just, in case we're still not sure exactly what it is that Paul is saying, um, I don't think you could put it any more clearly than this. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. All right, Paul's like, look, all right, Ideas, doctrines, beliefs, theology that has its roots in, that is inspired by, that is shaped by demons. Right? So it's not just that when we believe wrong things, we are becoming enslaved to these elemental spiritual forces in our world. But actually, those wrong ideas, those wrong ways of thinking, those wrong beliefs are being inspired by those elemental spiritual forces. All right. Now can you begin to understand why Paul is so agitated and so forceful in his letter to Galatians with a church that is not thinking properly, truly, accurately, faithfully about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not just that they've made some intellectual mistakes. It's not just that, that you know, their logic isn't quite right or something like that. Paul grasps that there are deep spiritual forces at work. And that a church or a Christian who is not believing what the Bible teaches is in an spiritually is in an incredibly dangerous position. It's why Paul spends so much time teaching and writing the sorts of letters that he does to try to reclaim the church, to bring them back 
so that their belief is right, so that they are relating to God and not to demons. And it is why at MIE we spend, I spend so much time, and we're so serious about teaching the Bible and about trying to get people to study the Bible together. Because this is, this is an arena of spiritual warfare. What you believe matters because it is about what spiritual realities are you exposed to and vulnerable to and being influenced by. It's not just, okay, you know, man, I want everybody to agree with me because then I'll feel good about myself. No, it's, it's something far deeper at work than this. And when people say, oh, I don't really, I don't, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really know what the Bible has to say, but I think I know what I believe. As a pastor, I'm, that, that sets off all kinds of warning bells for me. All right? And, and when a church doesn't know what they believe and why they believe it, well, that, that calls forth from Paul some of his most strident and extreme pastoral responses. Because this isn't just about, well, we disagree, but that's okay, isn't it? Paul's like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. Because this isn't just about ideas and intellect. This is about spiritually, who is shaping your life? Who is shaping your church? Who is shaping your experience? Right? Can you begin to see just how significant a thing uh, this is? And how dangerous it is for us to go, well, you know, I, 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 I hear what the Bible says, but actually, I disagree. I think this. That is, spiritually, that is an incredibly dangerous thing. And the sort of spiritual, sort of doctrinal anarchy, where we all sort of go, well, we all kind of, whether I know the Bible or not, I sort of, we all have our own opinions and we all have the right to decide what we're going to believe and stuff. I'm like, ooh, that's really dangerous. That's really, really dangerous. All right, okay, so anyway, that's, that's kind of what's going on behind this. And that's why Paul is so agitated. And it's why he's so frightened and fearful. And he actually uses the word perplexed. When he says, like, man, I'm so perplexed that you want to go back into that world where you are being enslaved by and shaped by these demonic influences. Paul's like, why would anybody want to put themselves like, back into that situation? Especially when Jesus has done so much to take us out from exactly that situation. To redeem us from that situation. To save us. From the present, this present evil age, as he said right at the start of Galatians 1. All right, and, and it, it comes down to it again here in the reading we had tonight. When the time, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Right? Jesus comes, he puts himself under the law, he, he obeys everything that the law demanded of him then he he be, remember 3 became chapter 3 became the curse for us and he bore all the curse of the law against those 
all the punishment of the law against those who do not keep on, continue to obey everything that is written in the law. And he does that, and, and in doing that, he, he brings us with him then out of slavery. And it's not just that he brings us out of slavery, but Paul's like, you know, that would be good enough. But he doesn't just bring us out of slavery. He then brings us into the family of God. Adoption into sonship. We are sons, not slaves. Um, Ed took us to Romans 8 earlier on where Paul hits the same point. The spirit that you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Right? Rather... The spirit that you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, there's so much we could go into about this. But I think the main thing that Paul wants us to take on board is that as those who are now in Christ, adopted, we are the children of God. That one of the key thing for Paul is that that means we are heirs. If you belong to Christ, if you are children, if you're adopted into the family of God, you are Abraham's seed and heirs. Not because you've earned it, but according to the promise. And again, this comes out in, in that passage from Romans 8. If we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You see, that's the key. Right? We're talking about heir. Well, what is it we inherit? Well, Paul says we are co-heirs with Christ. We, in Christ, we will inherit what Christ will inherit. And what is Christ going to inherit? Well, come on, Hebrews 1, remember? Like, that was two years ago, but come on, Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. It's that what is Christ going to inherit? Everything. Right? The, the, the whole new creation is being presented to, it's a gift to Jesus. And Paul's like, yeah, and, and to you. Because you are co-heirs with Christ. You will share Christ's inheritance. Psalm 2. Ask me, says the Father, to the Son, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. Right? That's what, that's it. It's like you will get into and you will receive and you will own the, the, the entirety of the new creation. That's incredible. That changes. That's a, that, that is a game changer right there. All right? It, it, it radically changes our relationship to everything. To everything. You know, we, we live in a world that's, that's all about accumulation. Get more and more stuff. Get a better job. Get promotion. Why? So that you have more money. Why? So that you can buy a bigger house. So that you can fill it with more things. Get a better car. Right? That's how we judge people all the time. That's the goal of so many. Right? We drive our kids in school. Why? So you can get a good job. Why? So you can earn money. So you can uh, uh, support a particular lifestyle. Right? More and more stuff. In fact, do you know what? In our culture, right, we, we, we now get so much stuff 
that we can't fit them into our houses and we have to go and pay more money to rent storage so that we can put in storage all the stuff that we have that we know we're never going to use. Right? And yet we're, this, is, this is the world we live in. And, and Paul's like, look, guys, this whole this inheritance thing, you own it all anyway. Right? And it just liberates us. It just liberates us from all of that. And, and it frees us, well, to use Paul's word, to, it frees us to be content. Content. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether welfare or hunger, whether living in plenty or in want. Right? It's fine. It's, it's all going to be mine anyway. I don't need to, to, to spend my life grasping for this now. Because I'm going to be given it all in the new creation. So if I don't get it now, if I don't cram in every possible experience, if I don't get every single thing I want right now, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because I'm an heir. I'm going to receive it all as a gift in and with Christ. And for Paul, that freed him to serve the cause of the gospel. To give himself away to the good of the church and to the cause of Christ. Because he wasn't chasing promotions and status and income. And it freed him to live the life that he lived. All right, so look, let me just wrap this up. This is kind of where we're up to at this stage in, in Galatians. There are two, basically there are two ways of doing life. And, and you know, this is them. There's, if, if you come to the law without faith, then Paul's like, look, you're under God's curse. You're under the control of sin. You're in custody, imprisoned under the law, enslaved. Um, you're under the, the disciplinarian. You're in slavery under demons. All right? So that's how you want to live. Knock yourself out. All right? And, and that's what the church is at Galatia is in danger of going back to. The other option is you, you have faith in Christ and you know blessing, you have freedom, you're justified, you're adopted to sonship, you receive the spirit, and you're an heir of the new creation. And when you lay it out like that, you can see why Paul is absolutely staggered that anybody would step out of this world to go back into that one. Right? That, that's why Paul is like, you know, I can start in chapter 3. The only thing I can think of is like literally you're under some kind of demonic influence. That's the only explanation Paul can think of. That they're bewitched somehow. And that's why they're prepared to leave Christ and go back under the curse of, of, of God. Now, we might struggle with this, but I want you to understand that for Paul, this is a very real threat. You know, we can be Christians. And Paul knows that the people in the church at Galatia, he knows they're Christians. Because he was there when they became Christians. And they have received the Spirit. All right? They are Christians. Right? It's not just that they're nominal or that they sort of look like they became Christians but haven't really. They are genuine, born-again, spirit-filled believers. And Paul is saying to those people, you're risking going back into living in that world. 
right? And, and you see, this is, you think, how does that happen? How can you be, how can you be a child of God? How can you be an heir and yet still live your life as if you were a slave? Well, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 4, doesn't he? Chapter 4, verse 1. It's about maturity. You see, Paul knows there are situations where somebody who's immature, somebody who's underage, oh, sorry, that's the going back to the other world, but you can be underage, chapter 4, verse 1. As long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, <coughs> even though he owns the whole estate. See, Paul is saying, look, guys, I know you're Christians, but you're at danger of going back into a situation where your life, even though you are heirs, your experience of life is going to be indistinguishable from that of those who are actually slaves. And Paul's like, I don't want you to go back to that. I don't want you to go back to that. And again, I've been doing this all the way through. I hope you've noticed this, but I've been taking this back to Jesus. All right, because I want you to see that all Paul is doing is reiterating what Jesus taught. Do you remember Jesus taught a parable about a prodigal son? One of the most famous parables uh, that Jesus told. All right, now, do you remember the son at the end of the parable? Not the prodigal son, but the other son. And remember, he is a son. But the whole point that Jesus makes is he's been living as a slave. He answered, this is the older son. All these years, I've been slaving. What an interesting word. Here's a son, but his experience, although this, this son was going to inherit everything the father had, remember? He was going to inherit everything the father had. He was a son, and yet his experience is slavery. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. Oh, do you see it? I've been good enough. Look at my performance. Look at how well I've done. I've always done everything you said. Man, if you ever... Oh, talk about... That's the very personification of legalism. I've done everything. As far as the law was concerned, legalistic righteousness, I've been faultless. Right? Jesus warns us of the danger of people who are sons living as That's all Paul's doing. Paul's saying, look, Jesus warned us about this. Let's not make that mistake. It's a live mistake. And next week, I'm going to show you how Paul, in this next section of Galatians, gives us the tools that allow us to diagnose within ourselves 
or within other people. The extent to which we are living as slaves, even though we are the children of God. And, thankfully, he tells us what to do about it as well. Alright, so that's, oh, I want to preach next week's sermon now, but I won't. I'll leave it till next Sunday night. <laughs> Alright. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, says Paul in Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. That we might be adopted as sons and become heirs of God. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And all God's people said,